G'day guys, welcome to episode 145 of Talking With TK. I'm your host Tristan Cannell, we're going to be turning towards the Socceroos today and one of the all-time legends, one of my favourite players in the incredible goalkeeper, Mark Schwarzer. Now who couldn't, you just can't forget the 2006 or 2005 penalty shootout against Uruguay. I think it's probably one of the best sporting, probably the best sporting moment that, uh, well, ga- even game that I attended. I went with my old, my old man for that game. I bought him some tickets for his birthday, and yeah, it turned out to be an absolute crackerjack. And you know, the first time we'd been to the World Cup in was something like thirty years. So, really stoked to get Swartzy on the show. He's got plenty of stories to share. Before we get Mark on the show, just a big shout out to everyone that has pre-ordered the book, Talking with Champions. It, I think the. <laughs> It looks like it's coming out this week. They've pushed it back a couple of days. If you have pre-ordered, I'm pretty sure they've been released. The the publishers did say that they were at the docks, right, reading in docks in Sydney, waiting to be shipped. So stay tuned. If you haven't received the by the end of the week, get in touch with me and uh, I'll chase it up a little bit harder. But if you haven't pre-ordered yet, you can get it at Dimmicks, Angus and Robertson, Booktopia, pretty much anywhere. Any good bookstore will have will be stocking it, and it will definitely be out for Father's Day, which is in a couple of Sundays' time. But talking with champions, it's seventy five interviews that I've picked out from majority of them are from talking with TK, but also my time for my first podcast, the Vision Board Podcast, where I got to interview some incredible people as well, including Jonathan Thurston, Evander Holyfield, George Foreman, Mario Andretti, Lane Beachley, Larry Holmes. Diamond Dallas Page and a couple of others. So it's 10, I think it's 10 from the vision board, 65 from talking with TK. But perfect gift for Father's Day, whether it's for your father, your boyfriend, your husband, your partner, whatever they are. I'm pretty sure if they love their sports, they're going to love this book. So definitely have a look at that online. I'll have all the links in the description or just send me an email, Tristan at talkingwithtk.com if you want to know more, more information. All right, guys, excited to bring you today's episode, and I introduce Mark Swartzer. All right, guys, my special guest today is Mark Swartzer. Mark is a former professional footballer with his distinguished career seeing marked as the most capped soccer of all time with a record 109 caps, and he also represented the Socceroos at the 2006 and 2010 World Cups. His 26-year professional career includes 514 appearances in the Premier League, which includes 151 clean sheets and an assist. Away from the game, he's published a children's books, and he's also making huge strides in the media world with his expert analysis regularly seen on Optus Sports. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Swartzer. Mark, welcome to the show, buddy. Hi, man. How you going? Good. Doing really well, mate. Before we kick it off into the podcast, mate, on the official Premier League website, it, it says you've got an assist. Do you <laughs> do, do you remember this assist, mate? I actually don't. I mean, I, I'm, I was when you said that, I had a bit of a chuckle to myself, and I'm thinking, I actually almost scored uh, one season against Birmingham. Um, I had the ball in my hands, and I cleared it up the field, and they just wet the pitch, and it <laughs> took a massive big crowd, but it almost went over uh, Ben Foster, and he managed to get back, claw it out for a corner. From the resulting corner, ball was whipped in and we scored directly from that. So, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm claiming that to be an assist, but I don't think technically it is. Actually, Mark, on the weekend we had the A-League finals and the keeper, Liam Reddy, actually took one of the penalties. Have you ever taken a penalty? 
I, I saw it and it was brilliant. He did it exceptionally well. I mean, not only scoring the penalty, but the amount of, amount of penalty saves that actually he made was was brilliant. Have I taken one? Not in a competitive match. I've done it in a testimonial um, <laughs> up in, in, in uh, Aberdeen and uh, I missed. Keeper saved it. Oh, Mark, what are you doing? I know. That's why, mate, that was my, my one and only lesson. And went, right, that's not for me. <laughs> All right, Mark, let's kick off into the podcast. Mate, one of the most impressive things at the moment, mate, has been your transitions into the media space. You know, it's such a tough thing for a professional athlete to actually find what they want to do once they finish sports. So, Mark, how did you actually come to to think about media and how have you kind of tackled it from there? Um, I think throughout my career, I've kind of, you know, as, as, as the game sort of evolved, as the game became more popular, obviously was in, I've been in England for such a long period of time and the Premier League has been, whether it was the English uh, First Division and then the Premier League, and the Premier League has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was fortunate enough to come to this country at the time when it was just exploding on, on, on you know, in terms of popularity and, and exposure and names of, of footballers coming to this, to this uh, league. And from a very early on onslaught, I, I realised that you know media obviously played a big part in it, the exposure of the game, and then with the national team, you're constantly within within sort of the the eye of the media, and and there's there's constant um, demand for for um, you know for for information for you to to have various appearances, and I and I, I found myself enjoying a lot of it, you know, and and I also thought you know what one day that may be a cool place to to end up in, you know. Playing football, which is brilliant, and it's the best thing you can ever do. Playing football, there's no job that beats it, um, in my opinion. Um, and we'll I have thought, a look you know at the week that you've just had. You got to go to yeah, the Champions exactly. League, and then you got to go yeah. see Man City on the weekend. Yeah, exactly. So that that's that natural for me. It was an easy transition, and I, and I kind of, particularly in the last year and a half in my career, where I, I I hardly played. I was number two. I knew my position. I knew I wasn't going to play very often. And I, I took the opportunity to, while your name is still relevant, to sort of like go put my hand up and say, yeah, listen, I'm, I, I would love to go and do some more uh, media work, various appearances. I was doing a lot of stuff over here for the BBC, which is, which is you know, obviously the biggest platform to, to be involved in any, of the, any, any media work, and particularly football. And um, it sort of kind of evolved from that. And then obviously... You know, then then the emergence of Optus Sport. You know, the, mm. the, the beginning of Optus Sport. Then, you know, obtaining the the Premier League rights from complete left field and surprising, you know, shocking the the whole of the Australian uh, um, sort of uh, arena in terms of of, of broadcasting. Um, and they came to me and asked me if I'd like to get involved. And at the time, I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to continue to play or not. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so. You know, Optus Sport. That obviously the emergence of Optus Sport, um, their their venture into broadcasting, obtaining the Premier League rights, and when they came to me and chatted to me about the, the opportunity, it was initially you know like a short term view on 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 me being involved, and I and I was at the point where I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to continue to play football or whether I wanted to 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 hang up my my gloves and my boots and decide if you know what what the new next chapter in my life was going to be yeah um and then you know basically i said to optus in the end optus sport that if 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 i consider this as a long term opportunity as an opportunity for me to grow to develop learn a new trade and um you know media's the the way i want you know what i wanted to go into post football just not quite sure if it's now or in a, in a year's time or so i said but if you come back with a project a longer term view i said then i'd be sold on it and i'd mm. i'd jump in it and i'd want to develop and i want to learn and i want to do as much as i possibly can to 
to to sort of kind of um, begin a new career. And and they did. And they came back and said, okay, listen, we've got the Premier League rights for three years. Let's let's tie you up for three years and, and let's make it a real project. And I'm coming to the end of that three years now and, and it's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do a couple of days a week with Optus Sport and then the rest of the time I'm, I'm, uh, I freelance over here in the UK and I can, I can work for anyone and, and it's brilliant. Um, you know, I work on the Premier League, I do stuff uh, uh, for a program in, in Singapore, Malaysia, yep. um, and also I, do, I, I work on the, on the German Bundesliga as well now, which is, which is exciting. And then obviously you've got the Champions League and the Europa League with Optus Sport as well as all the internationals in European football. And uh, you touched on it earlier on, what a week. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if you talk about football in terms of, um, you know, I mean, in this country, obviously, it's been an incredible season in terms of run for the premiership title, who's going to win, and going down to the wire, and then obviously European football during the week. I mean, I think I have to say, and not just because I'm at the games and stuff, I have to say it's it's one of the most exciting Premier League seasons ever, and also the Champions League, and, and uh, particulars, I think, got to be up there with the best season ever in the Champions League. Yeah, totally agree. Now, Mark, you know, you mentioned that you know the last couple of years of your career, you know, you kind of settled the bench for both you know Leicester and, and Chelsea. But you yeah. know, when you've been playing for so long and you're in goals, when you change positions and you sit on the bench and you're with the other boys and with the gaffer and things like that, does that change the way that you kind of view and analyze the game it gives you a different perspective absolutely i mean you 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 sit back and you you watch the game unfold in front of you you're you're watching you know your your teammates you're watching that you know your fellow goalkeepers um yeah definitely you you have a different view and and you know you you're not focusing on your performance and your position or anything like that you're observing you're you're taking all the information that you possibly can by by watching the game um and you're analyzing you know that aspect of the game. Um, it, I'll tell you what, that was it was so hard. Like the first the first game of the season when I signed for Chelsea, I yeah. sat there on the bench, opening day of the season, and just thinking, this is just like this just feels so wrong. You know, I'd played for for so long and played every you know pretty much every every start of the season. I was a regular, and then all of a sudden you're sitting on the bench going, you know, you're not a regular anymore, and you know you're going to be playing limited football, and it was hard. It was yeah. hard, but you know, it it kind of. I, I accepted it. I knew that, that was going to happen. Um, that was that was no shock to me when I moved there. I mean, to Chelsea, that was one of the reasons. That the reasons why they signed me was because I, I was a good number two for them, and and that was the very reason why they signed me. They didn't sign me as a number one, and and, and I knew that. And uh, Jose Mourinho was very very clear with that. And, and obviously, I'm not naive enough to think it was any different. And, and it was that way. So. Mate, next question, just about preparation when you actually do, just for example, you know, you just had the Liverpool and Barcelona game, and I'm just really interested, in terms of your preparation for when you actually do have to go on TV, what is the the days, a couple of days before the actual game, what does it look like for Mark Swarter? Um, well, it's even, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, early on in the competitions, you, you're, you're getting to know, cause you don't know every single player. So you're getting to know more players, um, as you go and you're, you're looking at stats and you're digging up all the relevant, relevant information that you can. Yep. And then as the competition evolves and you've been to a couple of times, the games, you've watched them play a few times, you, you know, a lot of them, you're also, continuously watching and reading the press what the new information what the new news is so it's, it's actually not just two three days before a game it's actually a, it's, it's every day you're 
reading, you're following the news, you're following, yeah. you know, catching up and all the information. So it's a kind of a slow build. Do you have like a scrapbook or we, something? Yeah, yeah, I, I do it all on my iPad and, and yeah, I have this app and, and all this sort of stuff. So you can you can gather all this information, write all this stuff down and yeah, nice. and uh, and you can add to it and take it away and all that sort of stuff. So I've got all my games saved and they're all there and I can go back on notes and some notes obviously are still irrelevant, other notes are, are, are out of date, but you just add to them and alter them. So yeah, it's it's... And because you're watching so much football, I mean, my, the greatest excuse I've got now is when there's when there's a Sunday and there's four games on. I said to my wife, oh, "I can't do that. I've got to watch football today. <laughs> do it for work." She's rolled her eyes at me at times. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of what it is. You 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 watch a lot more. I, I watch a lot more now than I ever used to. When I was playing, I, I didn't watch that much football. Yeah. So you grew up in North Richmond, and I actually grew up down the road at Quakers Hill. So. Tell me a little bit about your backstory, because I was reading something the other day, and I read that when your dad, obviously your, your parents are obviously immigrants from Germany, but when your dad was building your family home, you lived in a caravan without running water. Was that is that a true yep. story? It is true, yeah. We lived there for three years on, on, on the property, uh, five acres, um, and we didn't have any running water. I mean, we, we, had, um, we ended up having just tank water all the time, so one of the first things that was built was a tank. Okay. Um, for rainwater and stuff like that. And then yep. obviously you, you're only collecting the rainwater once you've got your roof on and you've got your gutters on um, of, of the house, and that wasn't for for quite some time. Um, and my dad used to build the house kind of any 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 sort of spare moment that he had because he obviously had to work as well at a, at a, at a job building other people's houses. And then um, when he came home, he, he, if, he, if he was still able to and physically able to and not too tight, he'd, he'd do more work at home and weekends and stuff like that. Yeah. Must have taught you some real key lessons on discipline, but just seeing your dad. Oh, that. yeah, gosh, yeah. Yeah, gosh, yeah. I mean, it's, no, I, from the age of about 10 years old, I used to I used to go on weekends and school holidays and work with my dad. Um, I, I remember, like, being a 14, 15-year-old, and the my dad would say to me, you know, I need you to come to work. I need you to help out. Um, plus, I've got this apprentice, young apprentice who's come, and you need to teach him the ropes. And I, I would have to show him how to how to mix a, a you know a, a wheelbarrow full of cement and how to how to actually push one and carry wow. bricks. And, and and these guys couldn't do it. They were like eighteen years old, nineteen years old. Because there's a bit of an art to it, particularly a, a, a wheelbarrow full of cement. You know, there's there's it's quite you know it's a, it's a little bit soupy-ish. And yeah. if you if you just lift it and go with it, it can easily, once the weight goes, you lose it. So there's a bit of an art of juggling it and everything else. So, um, yeah, it was all that sort of stuff. I mean, I worked from, like I said, about the age of 10 and then uh, all school holidays, weekends, whenever whenever I, when I call when my dad needed me. Um, and then uh, when I was about 17, I actually worked with him full time for 18 months, um, which, so, yeah, a lot of hard work, but it was it was good. And, I, you know, I can lay bricks and I can do stuff like that now. Um and I still every now and then pull out the trowel and do some laden bricks. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. You know, I've always I've always enjoyed um, doing doing hands on work. I mean, I, I do stuff here. I build. I've a bit of land myself now, yep. and I build stuff and do stuff, and I enjoy it. Yeah, nice one. Now, Mark, you know, coming from out west, were you a big rugby league supporter? I was. Yeah, absolutely. I still am, really. I mean, who's your team? I, I, uh, well, I grew up uh, being a Belmain Tigers fan. So oh, yeah. I'm a, West, I'm, a, I'm a West Tigers fan. So you're a Ciro uh, guy and a Wayne Pierce guy. Yeah, absolutely. Wayne Pierce, uh, you know, Sirens, uh, Gary Jack, all those guys. Yeah, absolutely. 
Wow, do you support the West Tigers now, or is that something? I do, too? yeah, yeah. West Tigers are now my team, so yeah, absolutely. So uh, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't watch every result or watch every game or anything like that. But I, I, that's my team. So when we talk about rugby league, yeah, West Tigers are the team uh, that I support. Benji Marshall, legend. There you go. The West Tigers fans yeah. will be loving it. But Mark, how did yeah. you? You know, I know that your dad was obviously heavily into to football, but how did you kind of, you know, stay away from playing rugby league and? you know, play football or essentially soccer in Australia, but, you know, we love it as football. Well, well I, I played all sports. So, like, at school, I played I played uh, league, um, played cricket, basketball, water I did everything. Anything that was revolving around sport, I did it. Um, I even played cricket. Um, from the, like, and as a 14-year-old, I played one season of cricket. My dad allowed me to play once. Um, and that was because of just the, the sheer number of training sessions I used to do with football. And my mum and dad would drive me all over the country, uh, well, all over the state of New South Wales pretty much, um, to football. And, and, yeah. and, you know, that took a lot out of them. And, and it was a huge, huge commitment. And then me wanting to play cricket on top of it and not having a break at all uh, for my parents was tough. So, um, But I, like I said, I mean, I played rugby league at school. I really loved it. I played, uh, I remember... We were playing an inner school visit. We did an inner school sort of exchange with uh, one of the, uh, a school down down in uh, Wollongong, past past Wollongong. And I remember playing for the team. And afterwards, people coming up to me saying, "Listen, do you fancy coming and trial and and, and trialing for for some representative size?" There I'm like, Man, "I can't." I said, "I can't." If if my mom and dad found that I was actually playing this game right now, I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I used to I, I used to kind of I used to do it on the uh, on the on the sly. I never I, I asked the very first time, and my parents relented and said okay you can play this one time and that's it and then I, I loved it so much and in the end it was like I just didn't tell them in the end I used to I used to kind of get around it and, and end up playing all the time and I loved it yeah great story now I heard it was your dad that put you in goal so does your dad claim like all your fame after this that he was just a special talent scout or did he just <laughs> was he just out of players and he just thought chuck your son in there well, firstly, he was the coach at the time, and no one else wanted to go in goal, so I was the easy option. Um, he claims because I used to trip over my own two feet um, <laughs> that, that he decided to put me in goals because I was embarrassing watching running around. So, I, I, I'd like to I'd like to believe it was because I was his son and I had to do as I was told, rather than rather than me tripping over my own feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, in terms of like you know, rep squads and things like that? Because I know that you joined the Marconi Stallions at 15, but what's the kind of pathways to get into kind of rep, rep soccer? Well, I, I started off obviously at Colo. Um, and then in those days, uh, I'm not quite sure how the, the path is right now, but in those days you used to, you know, I'd play for Colo on a Saturday and then on Sunday I'd play, I played a season for Nepean Association. Okay. So that was already the rep sort of rep football. Um, and I did that for one season. And after that, when, once you got to under 13s, you had you could only play with one team. You couldn't then play club and then rep football. So I ended up uh, leaving Colo and leaving the P and I went to Blacktown Association. And I was at Blacktown Association for three years. Okay. Um, until the age of basically fifteen, and from there, then I went to Marconi because at that stage there was there was not really a pathway with Blacktown Association to go into. They didn't have a first team or anything like that. Yep. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, the next, the next port of call. And, and I actually went and trialed, um, I went to, I went to Blacktown city and kind of didn't work out, um, for various reasons. I, I, I literally was only there for about five weeks. So I, I signed and then realized it was a, it wasn't the right move for me, the right decision. And I ended up, I ended up managing to get out of my contract and, and I left and I went to, uh, at the time I went to Melita. Okay. Um, and Raul, Raul Blanco was the manager at the time, and I, was, oh, wow. I, I, I played a couple of games in their first team uh, in a preseason 
preseason tournament they were playing at, at Melita's ground, and I played well, and they wanted to sign me. But there was this massive rivalry between Melita and Blacktown City. Yeah, and because of my complications of leaving Blacktown City, it, it got a bit. To, it got to a point where actually I, I wasn't allowed to train with uh, Melita anymore. And I went to my my dad. My dad insisted on the way home from Melita. I was like, obviously, I was upset, disappointed, and everything else. I was told I couldn't train. I couldn't play a game. Uh, that particular night for the first team, so I was I was upset about it, and we're on the way home. And my dad goes, "You know what? There's Mark Kenny on the way home. Let's stop there and see if the first if, if they're training." And yeah. I went, "Oh, Dad, I don't want to. I just want to go home." I can't. And he goes, "No, no, we're doing it." So he he forced me to do it, and then we got there, and they said, "Yeah, come out and train." So I literally got out of the car and I trained with them, and from that moment onwards, they were like, "No, no, I, I was training with the first team." And they wanted me to, they wanted to sign me. And then in the end, I, I, I signed with them, went into the under-15s. So it was, in those days, I was playing under-15s and then like the, what is it, the, the 13s, 14s, 15s, and then there were 17s. And you'd play all after each other. Okay. I wanted to play, I don't know, whatever, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then the next game would kick off immediately after that one and, and, and so on. So I'd play under-15s, and then more often than not, the under-17s would go, can you play for us as well? So I'd play the under-15s. That game would finish. I'd have five-minute break or whatever, and then I'd go and get ready again for the under-17s match. And then and then I'd often be on the bench for the under-19s or, like, the reserve team under-19s, or, or even I'd play for the under-19s. Paul Oakland's dad, Klaus Oakland Sr., was the manager okay. of the of the reserve team. And I, I'd go and I'd be either involved, train with them, play the odd games here and there. And then I'd also then train with the first team quite often, and Bertie Mariani was the manager. Okay, but you know, back then, Mark, especially early '90s into the mid '90s, playing for Marconi was a big deal, especially in the area that we're from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, Marconi was was huge. It's the it was the biggest club in, in one of the biggest clubs in, in in Australia at the time. It was one of the most successful clubs in in the old NSL. Um, it, it was yeah, it was brilliant. Um, you know, you can imagine you know, as a as a kind of a, a 15 year old going to a club that was that big I'd never seen anything like it before mm. um, it was a huge experience brilliant experience and they were very professional they took the things very seriously the first team was a big deal um, the club lived and breathed the football at the time you know it's a very different place now but at, at that time it was all about the football and, you know we'd, we'd regularly have you know six seven eight thousand people jam-packed into yeah. the Marconi Stadium um, and it was brilliant. It was a great atmosphere. It was a great experience. And, you know, to have that opportunity as a, even, like, I made my debut and I think I was 18 years old in the first team. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's a great experience and it was, uh, brilliant to be there. And then at, at the age of 19, in my first full season, we, we managed to win the, win the, the you know, the, the, the title. And it was myself, Steve Corica was there and Luke Cassley, um, who I grew up with. So we all lived in a house around the corner from the, from yeah, the stadium. Nice. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was unbelievable. You know, it was an unbelievable time. It was so much fun. We, we had success on and off the pitch. It was, it was brilliant. And, um, it was very, very fond memories. Yeah. Mark, back then when you're 18, 19 years old and you're coming through, what was the feedback on your keeping? Um, Listen, I, I, I mean, I, there was always people who 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 weren't big fans, and there were ones that that were very, you know, they they believed in your ability. I, I had a really good coach at, at Marconi as well, not only Bertie Mariani, but I had an unbelievable goalkeeping coach, a guy called Nick Sokoloff, who unfortunately uh, passed away not so you know a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, but he was brilliant. You know, he, he actually played for St George Budapest. Um, uh, and uh, he was he was so so instrumental in my early early career in terms of coaching at Marconi and and uh, um, 
I had people around me that believed in me, you know, Bertie Mariani, then Nick Sokoloff, and then Frank Arrock came in and took over, and he he loved he loved us young players and gave all the young players every opportunity to shine, and he loved working with us and trying to help us develop, and he he was brilliant as well, and and uh, the club Marconi, you know, they were. Um, they were, you know, very all four. You know, if you were good enough, you, it didn't matter what age you were. They wanted you in the side, and you played, and they they gave you an environment to to flourish and develop. Yeah, nice one. Now, Mark, obviously, it's a big move when you move overseas to Germany, and you know, I know that you had a, a German passport, but you still have to get signed by a club. And w- what's the process for actually moving over to Germany, and what's the kind of fours and for and against for someone moving over so young? Well, I, I went. I went uh, when I was nineteen. I went across um, myself and Luke Castley, who who I was playing with at Marconi at now. Yeah, now works at the FFA, and we went across and we trialled um, at Bayer Leverkusen. It was uh, it was actually through Frank Arrock because Frank Arrock knew the manager for Bayer Leverkusen at the time. Okay, a guy called Stepanovic, and um, he managed to to organise that we come over and, and and have a week's a week's training and trial with him, and and it, it was an amazing experience. One that uh, you know I, we did pretty well, and I did pretty well, and and they wanted to, they, did, they didn't want to sign me. They just said we're going to keep an eye on you and see how you progress and everything else. And and um, so I went back to Australia, played in Australia, and um, that following season I made my debut in the national team. And, yeah. and one of the first, one of the first, well, one of the first people or, or, or anyone to actually congratulate me were actually by Leverkusen. They sent it. They sent a fax to the club oh, to congratulate me, which which was which was nice. Um, well, that's good recognition. That's event- great recognition. Yeah, it was obviously nothing really eventuated from it. Obviously, um, because I never played for them. They didn't ask me to come back or anything. However, it was it was nice. It was a recognition that you thought, you know what, by Leverkusen are a team that are trying. To, you know, they're in Europe every year. They're they're like top end of it, and uh, it's nice nice to have that bit of recognition. So when when I had an opportunity to go over. Um, it was all about just trying to find the right move for me. Yeah. Um, and 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 I I had the chance to go to, to to Borussia Dortmund and go on trial there for a week, uh, with the view that they would they were potentially interested. And 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 the opportunity came to for me to sign for for Dynamo Dresden and be number two there. And, and obviously, if you look at it on paper, you you would always pick Borussia Dortmund ahead of Dynamo oh, Dresden. Sure. But yeah. for me, it was. You know, and Dresden at the time were in the top flight. So for me, it was about the opportunity. You know, I was going to go into a Bundesliga side that was, um, and then go straight into the squad and be a number two right from the off, and had a chance. You know, you're one, you're one position, you're one injury, you're one, you know, uh, instant away from potentially playing a game, and and that's why I took that opportunity. And and uh, it was listen, it was tough, um, even though, like you said, I'm German heritage. I, I I spoke German. I understood most of it. I didn't speak it fluently, but I, I, I spoke enough yeah. of it to get a, to get by. But did they still treat you like a foreigner? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's east part. It was the east part of Germany. It was five years after unification when the wall came down. You know, the east and west, the opening up of the borders. Yeah, and there was there was a lot of you know there was a lot of resentment towards the the west side of Germany. The the the, the people coming over and taking positions and earning money and and all sorts of stuff. Um, and you know it was it was new to these guys as well. It was new to the guys from the east. Um, but it was an amazing experience, and and also understanding them. There was a dialect, massive difference in a dialect that I was used to hearing, and um, it was it was difficult to, to to understand. But Dresden's a beautiful place. I mean, I I, I go back there quite well. I go back there every now and then, and I, I love it. It's such a beautiful place, 
Um, and it's an amazing, it was an amazing experience. It was a tough one, very, very tough. I learned some really, really big lessons when I was there, um, but it made me stronger and it made me more determined to um, to succeed. And then, you know, my, my time at uh, Kaiserslautern was again, you know, I, I, another experience, another different dialect, completely the opposite to, to the one in Dresden, but, but again, equally as difficult to understand. Um, and that was one of the key moments because my, my now wife moved in with me at the time then. Okay. And I was no longer alone and I had that support network there and she believed in me. And, and, and my time at, at Case of was also tough. I mean, I played four games and didn't play so well in the last game and got dropped, which is understandable. And it was a dog-eat-dog world and very, very tough. And, and uh, there were times there where you, you, you question yourself, you question whether it's ever going to happen, whether you're good enough, whether you, you, know, you should go back and start all over again and see how it works out. And, and uh, she, she pushed me. You know? She pushed me to, to believe in myself, to, to understand that, you know, to, to, to see how determined I was. Was I determined enough to prove people wrong? Did I want to show what I could do? And how was I going to do it? How are we going to accomplish it? And then pushed me to to open up doors, to speak to people, to, to force a move so that I could get through to, to England. Because at the time, that wasn't that common, you know? And, mm. and obviously, the EU then opened up and formed and the, the freedom of movement, the, the no more restrictions on non-EU players and stuff like that. Sorry, on, on EU players. If you're EU, you're not longer a foreigner. Yep. So the whole thing just opened up um, and the opportunity came along. And from there, I kind of... Everything just fell into place. I just, I've never felt more at home in terms of football um, when, the minute I arrived in England. And, and, and I think that showed because I was happy. Um, my performances mirrored that. And you just kind of, you know, you went with it. And, and I, I always had a dream to, to play in, in England. You know, it was one of the best leagues in the world as a kid growing up watching it. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Um, and I always felt that the English Premier League um, was a league that, not only you know loved their strikers and 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 gave them credit, but also loved goalkeepers and 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 actually gave goalkeepers credit. They had credibility and 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 an understanding of how important a good goalkeeper is in your team. And I think um, from the moment I arrived, like I said, it, it kind of it all just fell into place. Yeah, Mark. You know, you just talk, you know the English Premier League is the toughest league in the world pretty much that in the Spanish league but you played in England from 1996 all the way to 2016 so we're talking about 20 years so in terms of the secrets to longevity what was that a uh, combination of things I mean first and foremost you know, we talk about uh, there is an element of luck there's an element of you know genetics um, in injury prone proneness to injury some people are prone to, to getting injured regularly. Others are not. I, I've been very, very fortunate throughout my career that I, I kind of, you know, I, 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 my worst injuries were, were broken bones, which, which, you know, has its, has its uh, positives and negatives. But yeah. generally, it's, I'd rather break a bone than, than, than do a knee or, a, or an ankle ligament or something like that, you know. Um, so... In that term, I was I was fortunate, but I also made my own luck in terms of of, of working. Uh, so I was always very disciplined. I always worked really hard. Um, in the latter stages, the last seven years of my career, I I changed I changed a, a big thing in terms of diet and my uh, my regular day to day eating, my habits uh, and my working uh, okay. routine. So I I introduced the gym to my program. I you know and I was regularly going. 
I'd say it was either it was definitely a minimum of three days a week, if not four days a week, to the gym on yep. top of the training I was doing. What was the food so changes? I, 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 I just I cut out carbohydrates in my in my meals. So, so it's like a bit of a keto sort of diet. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just a yeah, it's it's a, it's a high protein. It's the the only carbs you actually take in are through your vegetables. Okay. So I I didn't have any bread, pasta, uh, I, alcohol. So I didn't drink beer. I drank wine every now and then, but I didn't drink beer because of the you know carbohydrate content, and and it wasn't great for me anyway uh, in terms of skin and all that sorts of other other elements of it. So I I, I cut all that out and. And dairy, I, I didn't have any dairy anymore. Um, I have eggs, sorry, I like. So I, I did, sorry, eggs, eggs, not dairy. But I wouldn't have dairy, so I wouldn't have milk, wouldn't have cream, yogurts, anything like that. So basically, I just cut out. I'd have, I'd have the odd bit of cheese, but not much, yep. because again, because of the dairy element to it. Um, How long did it take to adjust? It took me a, probably a good four to five weeks okay. before my body kind of adjusted to it. I remember in the first couple of weeks, I remember warming up for a game. And then coming in, obviously, like that fifth. I actually think I came in a bit early, about probably 20 minutes before kickoff, because I was so low on energy and I was kind of having head spins. And I thought, right, I've got to get in there. And I always, what I was doing was I was taking bags of nuts with me, like walnuts and and uh, pistachios. And I would sit in the in the change room and I'd be just basically grabbing handfuls of it and chucking it in my mouth and eating it before going out and oh, uh, playing wow. a game, literally 10 minutes before kickoff. And it gave me, gave me then a boost and... And and when it's amazing when you go on a on a, on a sort of a, an extreme diet and you're on it for a period of time, it's amazing how certain certain things can have such a, a pro- profound effect on you. Yeah, like like having a sugar rush. So if you're not used to having it, you have some sort of sugar, yep. and the rush is almost instant. The effect that it has on your body. If you're having it all the time, your body's immune to it. But because you cut all these stuff out, and all of a sudden you have something that you haven't been having regularly, the the impact is is very very. Uh, um, you know, dominant. So was it kind of like, did you start sleeping better? Did you lean out? Was that kind of the big... Everything, yeah. Our, our body fat, I dropped massively. I mean, I lost, what did I lose? I lost 6% of body fat in eight weeks. Oh, wow. I, without losing weight. So I gained weight through muscle take, but I lost body fat. So I I kind of, I, I evened out. I actually, I stayed pretty much the same. Oh, I probably dropped a little bit in weight. Mm-hmm. Um but in terms of my body mass, my my body makeup was was a ter- a big turnaround, and uh, I put on I put on about I think it was about five kilograms of muscle, and uh, but I dropped obviously fat. So that's where the pros were. And I felt I actually felt really really good. I felt I felt strong. I felt fit. Um, I felt just really healthy. My 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 skin was good. Everything about it was great. Okay, very, very interesting. All right, Mark, let's move to Socceroos now. You know, you mentioned before, you know, your debut against Canada, and, you know, it was quite an interesting one because in, in leg one, Robert Zapico gets sent off after 17 minutes. So you're called onto yep. the field. Like, yep. do you remember what you were doing when, when you saw that he got sent off? Like, what was going through your mind? Well, it, it's an interesting interesting time because I that was actually the season I went to buy a Leverkusen on trial. So yeah. it was the end of the season in the Leonard uh, Cell, and Luke Cassie and I went over to, to Germany, and I ended up uh, staying for another three weeks afterwards and basically just having a good time, you know, with family, and, and uh, my sister was living there, and we were just partying and enjoying life. And yeah. then I came back, and I was back in Australia for probably, I would say, about three weeks. Okay. And then... The Canada games came up, and then last minute, uh, Mark Bosnich pulled out, 
And I just got a call saying, uh, you know, we're calling up for the national team. Are you available? Can you come? And I was like, absolutely. So I literally turned up and I, I, I'd hardly done any training. I'd been going to the gym, but I had like three weeks, four weeks off where I'd actually done no football whatsoever. And then I just went over there. I landed and went straight to the training field and trained with the guys. Um, and I did about three days worth of training before the game. And wow. I felt great. Yeah. You know, I trained well and I felt great and I was all okay. It was not a problem. And then, you know, you're not expecting to play, uh, but you have to expect to play, but you don't. You, yeah. you kind of know you're a reserve, particularly the goalkeeper. The likelihood of you coming on is, is remote. So I'm just sitting there. And I remember Paul Wade. I think it was Paul Wade's first game he got. He actually got dropped um, as the captain. He was dropped under the bench. And I was sitting, sitting next to him. And we were just looking around, counting the, the number of Aussie flags that were in the stadium. Okay. And um, <laughs> just, just as the game kicked off. Um, and then, you know, watching the game and just chatting and, and, and uh, you know, getting into the game. And I was just like blown away by the fact that, you know, a week ago I was in the gym in, in Fairfield just thinking, right, just slowly get starting getting ready for pre-season. And then all of a sudden, I'm now sitting on the bench at a World Cup qualifier with Australia, and it was surreal. Yeah, good. Um, and even when even when Zabi got the the red card, when, when he actually brought down the player, I like everyone sort of stood up, and I'm just standing there thinking, oh, yeah, he's right, he's just get a yellow card, and that's it. I, I didn't even think he's going to get a red. Yeah. And the minute he, they pulled out the red, I mean, I remember Eddie Thompson just turning, and he's like jaw dropped, and he's just probably thinking, oh, my God, I've got to play this kid. He's never <laughs> played a game for Australia in a World Cup qualifier. Um so yeah, it was it was uh, it was unbelievable, um, and it was one of those ones where I suppose you just had little time to think about it. So you just you just got you got ready and you, you ran on and, and and played the game. I think the hardest bit was the second game because it was a two week gap in those days. So okay, came back and we trained so much and was the the, the build up to it was long and um, did you know you were going to start though no? the second leg? You're starting. And, no, I didn't know until probably about three days or so before the game because because uh, there was still a lot of talk whether or not Mark Bozic was going to come back or not. Okay. So they obviously were trying drastically, you know, to try and get him to come back. But I think what it was in those days, there was no international breaks. So if no FIFA dates. So if if uh, if Bozic had left his club, he would have found it really difficult to get back in the first team. It would have taken weeks and weeks and weeks possibly. Yeah. And I know at that time he was put under a lot of pressure all the time. Um, about leaving, about coming back and playing for Australia, and they basically were telling him, "If you go, the other guy is going to jump in, and, and and he's and you're going to take, you know, he's going to find it difficult to get your place back again." So you know, it's a different time. Um, and uh, in the end, it was like I think I think it was like two, three days before the game, I, I kind of realised I was starting. Did you have to get tickets for the whole family? Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and in those days, you know, we, we, it was at the Sydney Football Stadium, and I think it yep. was, I think we had about twenty-seven thousand people, so there was plenty of spare spare uh, tickets floating around. <laughs> yeah, so Mark, but you know, it's it's a bit of a breakthrough because you saved two penalties to take the Socceroos to the next leg. You know, for a for a, literally a kid to do that, that must have boosted your confidence beyond anything that you'd ever seen before. Yeah, it did. And then, uh, you know, in the game, the way the game unfolded, I, I was, you know, I should have saved the, the goal that I conceded. Um, and then you're kind of thinking, right, okay, now we're going to penalties. Geez, I, I hope I can kind of, you know, make amends, play my part. And then, yeah, the penalty shootout just, just worked. I mean, I saw it again the other day because I think it was some sort of, um, I think it was either a, a particular date or a certain time since the, the game or it was, I don't know, but it ended up floating around on Twitter or something. Like that, and, I, and I saw it again and, uh, 
it's yeah it's pretty surreal and pretty amazing to think back at that time and, and watching it and just thinking this is pretty amazing and the guys I played with um who I you know who I made my debut in the national team with um that were in that squad um it was yeah you look back at it and, and it's kind of ironic that you know 93 there were those two penalties and then in 2005 there was yeah. another one Mark, you know, so yeah in terms of you know you're a specialist you know you just you just mentioned it 2005 you became a national hero by saving two penalties and then obviously Johnny Aloisi finished it off but the skills to actually do what you did in those penalty shootouts like I know that you didn't say you said that you didn't have a preparation leading into Canada but between that space obviously you become one of the best keepers in the world what like can you take me through kind of your preparation for maybe attempting that there's going to be a penalty shootout and then also what you're looking for in terms of when a, when a, when if someone steps up to actually attempt a penalty against you? Well, the you know was, even though it was only in 2005, the the kind of the the information that was at your disposal was a lot less than than what you have now. I mean, now you know guys like the other night I was at uh, Chelsea against Eintracht Frankfurt, and just before the penalty shootouts, there was uh, Ariza Balaga, the goalkeeper from Chelsea, ran off into the into the into the um, uh, changers with the goalkeeping coach because they were going. They went over the uh, the video okay. of the, the penalty takers. They went quickly ran through it. Yep. So we didn't have any of that. So it was none of that, and it was all only about maybe the odd player I'd go. Oh, listen, I know him. I've seen him. He takes a penalty most of the time this way, and that was it. There wasn't even there wasn't even that going on. Um, but that that's the kind of that was the limit of it. We we practiced the day before. Um, we actually because we trained at the stadium. We the uh, the broke us up into two teams. Goalkeeper at either end, and he had the players all standing in the center circle and going to each end, he'd call a name out, and they'd go and take a penalty. And they just we did that for about probably about half an hour, How'd 45 you go? minutes. So it was trying to replicate a situation in that stadium, obviously empty, no one in the stadium, but yep. you know, knowing what it's like to, you know, from the centre circle to go up and take a penalty. Um, were you on so form that, on that, that thing? Uh, I did okay. Yeah, I did all right. Um, and I think that's where, I don't know if you remember, uh, but uh, Zorko Kallet was warming up. At the yeah, end of the game, yeah. at the end of normal time, and apparently, um, as the story goes, Gus was was going to bring him on because he felt that uh, he had a feeling that uh, uh, that he would that he would possibly save save more penalties than I would, um, and he and he based it on the fact that the night before he he felt that that uh, that Zoka had made more saves. I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. I wasn't watching him. Uh, but who knows? But thankfully for me, he didn't make that substitution. I'm I'm, I'm grateful for uh, Brett Edmonton getting a getting a cramp. Yeah, definitely. Now you know, Mark, when when the penalty taker is coming in to line up the ball or anything like that, are you talking to him? Are you talking any smack to him? Like, what's the go there? Uh, no, I didn't in that instance. I mean, obviously, it's 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 a, it's a very high pressurized situation and a World Cup qualifier, and, and you know, this is this is the final stage. This is, this is the moment against our. Our, uh, you know, our nemesis in Uruguay. Yeah. So there was a lot of history there. There was I, I didn't didn't wasn't interested in talking to any of them. I was just thinking, you know what, thinking to myself, how can I, um, you know, how can I try and put more pressure on the kicker? How can I try and at the very least maybe swing it a little bit in my in my favour? And I just felt, you know, the only way I could do it is probably, you know, stay on my feet as long as possible, let them make the first move because I just felt, you know, South Americans, a lot of them. They often they watch the goalkeeper. They wait for the last moment, and the goalkeeper moves, and then they play it the other way calmly. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stay on my feet. I'm going to go right. Beat me, you know. Try and beat me, and 
now the pressure goes on you. Because I think when, when guys do take that started run up, they watch and they watch and watch and they are expected to keep it a move and you don't move, all of a sudden they've got to make a split decision. Yep. And if that split-second decision they get slightly wrong, it gives you a chance. And, and fortunately enough, you know, it worked. 100%. Now, when Johnny Alawilles is taking this, the last penalty, you're standing off to the side, right? You're away from the, the other boys, aren't you? Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a terrible, terrible view as well. I, don't, I can't really tell. I can't tell if the ball's going in or not, um, or it's difficult to tell. So when he... I, listen, I had every confidence he was going to score. Listen, he, he scored. He scored at the Benavo in, in Madrid. Uh, for Alaves that season, you know, over the penalty, I've I'd seen him take penalties in, in La Liga. I knew how good he was. Mm. Uh, I saw him, at, you know, come up against him at training. You just knew how, even when you knew where he was going, it was almost impossible to save. So, you just thought, right, if all goes to plan, if it all goes to how it should, there's no chance the keeper's going to save it. He's going to score. Um, so. But you still don't do anything until you see the ball hit the back of the net because of my angle, I can't see it going in. Um, I don't even know if it's actually on target until you know until that moment. So I, I delay slightly until I see the ball hit the back of the net. What did you do? Did you just did you just chase him? Did you did you tackle him? What did you do? We did. We just he ran off. I ran off. I ended up taking my shirt off. <laughs> That's right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't like a white singlet on. I don't even know. It was like I look back and I just go, "What was I doing wearing a white singlet like that?" I don't know. It was no, you know it was November. It's like it's warm. It's not even. It's not cold. I don't know. It was bizarre. Yeah, but my, yeah, that no, was. It was amazing experience. It was amazing scenes, and you look back at it and you watch it uh, any time, and it still raises the hair on the back of your neck or in your arms, and you know you get a bit of a, a tingle about about the about the moment. Yeah, Mark. You know, it had been thirty years, and with all that sort of setback and failure throughout that entire time, when that ball hit the back of the net. Like, is there an amazing feeling of just a weight getting lifted off your shoulders? Like, what was that? I don't, I wouldn't have said that that was the weight lifted. It was just a sense of sheer um, joy and, 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 and I suppose emotion. It, it, I think you think, you think about that afterwards, not long afterwards, mm. you know, within, within a short period of time, you're thinking, my God, what have we just done? You know, we've done it. We've finally, we've broken the hoodoo. We've, overcome the the supposed uh you know the the bad luck that we've had and we've just we've we've done it we've we've knocked out this to to actually add the ice into the cake was we actually beat we knocked out uruguay yeah exactly supposedly they it supposedly had a divine right to be there and and that's you know i think it's a combination of stuff and it's not until afterwards you sit down and you go well actually we've 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 changed the face of football in australia and and the, the the ironic thing about that is we all actually knew we talk, we've talked about we talked about it so often in so many different campaigns that if we qualify for the World Cup when we qualify for the World Cup it will change the game and you don't know how much it's going to change the game but we just knew it would change the game but obviously when it does happen and it changes the game it's you know it just blows you away because it was so significant and the changes that happened were were were, were monumental it's changed the face of, of football in australia uh you know forever yeah now mark we all know you know goose came in but it it needed to take more than just goose like in terms of cuz you were in those two different campaigns like what was the the most noticeable change that happened when he did come in and what was missing before that that you guys did actually change 
I think what he what he actually did. We I mean, we had an amazing, amazing group of players, and we we had players that played at all different levels. Um, and 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 actually, at that time we we had uh, there's no two words about it. We the most talented team. Um, players playing at the highest level. We had eight players playing in the Premier League, two yeah. in the Liga. Uh, Johnny playing in, in uh, sorry, one in two in Serie A, one in La Liga. Johnny playing in La Liga. Um, a couple of boys playing in Holland and top flight, big team. So it, it was a team that a squad of players that there was no doubting the talent that we had. We mm. just needed someone to put it all together, someone to have the confidence, someone to have the ability to to make the right calls at the right times, pick the right side, play the right tactics. Um, but also, also keep keep people in line. You know, keep people focused. Um, keep a controlling. Uh, you know, what you need is you need discipline. You need someone who has the respect of everyone that instantly gains that respect because of what they've accomplished in the game. And I, I just think that it was a masterstroke in bringing in someone like was hitting. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, in terms of you know when he when he took you out of the team for that game against Croatia, but then he brought you back against Italy. Like, what's the process? What's the feedback that he's kind of giving you? Like, does he give you any? Do you even know that you're playing? Like, how does that work between keeper and coach? Well, uh, well, of course, you never knew. You never knew whether you're playing or weren't playing. I mean, when I say you never knew, he never told you. Um, what you what you knew is you knew in training. So you saw the way the team, particularly the day before the game, how he worked. Yep. You'd worked with him for, what, six, seven months. So you knew what the process was leading up to a game. So I knew the day before that I wasn't playing. But nobody told me. So the goalkeeper coach hadn't told me, nor had any of the other coaches. So, But I knew I wasn't playing. And it was an hour before the uh, team talk at the hotel that actually got a knock on my door. And it was it was Gus there yeah. with, with Tony Franken, the goalkeeper coach, and said, uh, I just want to let you know you're not playing today. And I went, okay. And he went, because just feel that uh, Zoko deserves a chance. And that was his reasoning for it. And it was kind of an awkward one because I just, it was almost like he, he, he felt like he had to give me an excuse, but he didn't really have an, ex, an, an excuse. Yeah, gotcha. So, and it was, it was just one of those ones. And you just go, right, okay. You, 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 uh, it was a realization that I was right. My feeling was right. My, my instincts were right. And then the, the massive disappointment, knowing, you know, it's the biggest game in, in the country's history and, and you're not going to play that. Um, and you'd played so much of a part in, in, in all the lead up to it. So it is what it is. And, and you know, that's, 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 the, that's the life of, of, a, of a sports person, and particularly in teams. Ultimately, there are always people who miss out. There are always people who get upset and disappointed. And, and I was on that occasion one of those people. But I also felt that it's not over. I don't know why. I just felt that, you know, who knows what will happen. You just don't know. And I thought... All you can do is don't let it affect you as best as you possibly can. No, that's a great, that's um, a great, great attitude. Now, but how many days before, like the Italian game? Because you know you've just been dropped, but then you yeah. have to pick yourself back up. Like how long? Yeah, we'll see you again. You didn't know. I mean, listen. I, I, the one thing I was pretty sure was that 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 uh, that Zorko wasn't going to play, and a lot of people kept saying to me, "Well, you'll be back in the team straight away." Yeah, there's no doubt. Like a lot of my teammates were saying it, all that sort of stuff, but no one really told you, and it wasn't. I basically found out uh, uh, two days before the game, and 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 that's how I found that directly from Gus. And Gus didn't call me aside or anything to talk to me. He just we were we were warming up, and we did our final uh, preparation at uh, at our training ground, our training complex, and we did the press conference there and everything. So rather than do it at the stadium uh, the day before the game, we did it all 
at the training complex two days before the game. And um, Gus had gone and done all the media work pre-training. So we were already out on the pitch, uh, all warming up, and the goalkeepers were all off doing our own bit. So it was me and Ante Kovic warming up with Tony Frank, and uh, Zoko Kalak um, apparently was, was supposed to be injured, I think. He had, he had a back injury or something, and he wasn't training with us. And um, Gus came over, and he's, like, chuckling to himself, and then just went, oh, you know, making a joke of it, going, oh, just, you know, did the press conference and they just wouldn't stop. They kept asking me all the time, you know, what's my starting 11 and who was going to, you know, what was going to happen? And he goes, and I told him, he goes, I told him, like always, I, I don't reveal my team uh, until the day of the game. But one thing's for sure, Mark Schwartz is playing goal. And that, that's how he broke it to me. And he was chuckling and joking about it. And I literally, I just, I, I didn't even really acknowledge it. I just was like, okay. And then just kept jogging. And so I didn't even really, yeah, it was just kind of like I was still, I was upset, I was hurt, your ego's hurt, everything about it. But then you're thinking, right, forget about that now because it's the job at hand now. Now you've got to, now you've got to show that the that, that it was a mistake that he left you out. Um, I guess there's yeah, a method reiterate. to the madness, isn't there? Yeah, reiterate, you know that that what he did was, in my opinion, wrong, and I want to prove to him and confirm that he was wrong. By, by performance, and, and that's what you try and do. Yeah, 100%. All right, Mark, let's wrap things up with a couple of personality questions. Now, just moving back to the EPL, through your whole career for the EPL, what do you think your most memorable moment was? Uh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, it's a difficult one. Um, memorable moment, gosh. Um, I mean, I suppose, I suppose like, winning, when you win a, when you win a trophy, um, that's pretty special, and, and winning our first ever, uh, winning winning Middlesbrough's first ever ever major trophy was was pretty special. Um, winning the you know the League Cup, um, being at a club like Middlesbrough, who were before had a yo-yo side that that always were floating between the two divisions, had little consistency. So to be part of a, a squad of players and and be there for such a long period of time, where. Um, the only time we got relegated was the, the first season I arrived and I only, I, I only signed in February. So literally I was there for the last sort of 25 games of the season or 20 games of the season. But then I only played 13 because I broke my leg. Um, mm. So I kind of don't class that as, as, as being part of that. I mean, I was part of the squad of the being relegated, but I didn't really contribute. I played 13 games and that was it. Um, so, so to be part of that... Uh, then go on to be a team that you know we got promoted very much. We got promoted straight away the next year, and then from that point onwards, we became a, a regular, uh, middle of the table to above part of the table. And, and, that, and I think, in the context of things, I mean, you look at where Middlesbrough are now and what's happened since. Yeah, you know, it's 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 impressive, and the same as at Fulham. You know, to to go to Fulham and the team I signed for Fulham when I left Middlesbrough, and Fulham had survived the previous season with the last fifteen minutes of the game to go, when Danny Murphy of all people popped up and scored a header. And they beat Portsmouth. Portsmouth were resting so many players that they had the cup final the next week. Uh, but still, you know, Fulham had come from nowhere, come from the death um, to to stay in the league and then made big changes. I signed for them. There was a lot of other new players coming in and, and everyone was, everyone was, you know, kind of saying, what are you doing going to Fulham? Why? And at the time I had a choice. I could have gone to Juventus and I could have gone to Bayern Munich. But... I was I was had offers to go as number twos. Yeah, and it was 2008, and I didn't want to go as a number two. You know, Juventus, yeah, Buffon there, and when he's fit, he plays. It doesn't matter. Um, he, he, if he's on one leg, he's, he says he's fit, he's going to play. 
uh, at Bayern Munich, I was told that at the time Oliver Kahn retired and they brought in a guy called um, Michael Rensing, who'd been at the club for a, for a number of years and number two, and they promised him he'd be number number one. So I was told when I went, well, if I went there, that I was going to definitely be number two. And the only way I'd play is after three or four months, if he's playing that badly or he gets injured. That's the only way I was going to play. So and I still wanted to play for Australia. I wanted to yeah. go to another World Cup. And I was like, you know, that's not the right move for me. And I ended up signing for Fulham. And there was huge, huge numbers of doubters out there and people criticizing it and everything else. And so to be part of that squad again that went on and, get to a European Cup final, as I did with Middlesbrough. You yeah, know? and extra time too. Yeah. Out of nowhere, yeah. All right, next question. Mark, who's the leader that you most admire and why? Uh, you talking about in football in general, anything? Oh, anything, mate. If It, it could be someone right. in your life. It could be someone that you've, you've played with. Um, who I most admire, gosh. Uh, I'd, I'd probably say... Well, who I who I probably admire the most is probably uh, Barack Obama. Okay, I just think you know, being the being the president of the United States at the time he was, and you know, against kind of all the odds, and uh, I think he was incredible. He's an incredible uh, spokesperson, and he's an incredible man. I've never met him, but just from what you see and what you read and what you hear, and the way he can, you know, he can he can. He can um, control a room, how he captures an audience. Uh, yeah. Okay, Impressive. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Who would you say was your funniest teammate? My funniest teammate? Gosh. Uh, Archie Thompson was pretty funny, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I have to say he's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, who's the keeper that you love watching now? Um, who do I love watching now? Um, I, I mean, listen, I love, I love watching... Uh, um, who do I love watching? Oh gosh, let me try to think now. Um, I, I like watching Hugo Lloris. I think he's a I think he's a very good goalkeeper. Um, I like watching Jan Jan Oblak from uh, Atletico Madrid. Yep. Um, I think he you know he's done incredibly well. I, I enjoy watching Manny Ryan play. Um, I watched him I watched him on Sunday, and you know again someone who defies defies all the odds you know it defies logic in terms of how what people's perceptions are mm. of a goalkeeper and in, in height and how he's come to the premier league and 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 done so well against you know all the all the sort of doubters that you have in your life and and uh and uh in your career and, and i admire that yeah okay okay final question mark what was your favorite ground to play outside of the home grounds that you played uh what's the favorite ground um Listen, I, lo- I love playing at Old Trafford. I love playing at Highbury, um, at Anfield. Just the tradition, the the fact that you're playing against top, top teams uh, where you've got little chance to win, supposedly, on paper, and then you go there and you cause an upset. You um, Great atmosphere, great environment. I, I, I always had great experiences there. Uh, yeah, I love playing there. Uh, I thought they were brilliant. I mean, my favourite ground, I'd have to say, because of just... The iconic moment is is uh you know is is the uh, Olympic Stadium in Sydney. I mean, yeah, it, definitely. It's not it's not like it's not like I'd say it's like it's the best ground, it's the best pitch, it's whatever because it, it's not. It's far from it in terms of football terms, but it's just the iconic moment. And you speak to people about it, and anyone ever talks about it, and anyone ever brings it up, they talk about it as you know being one of the greatest sporting uh, moments, events. In Australian history, and that, that that says something, you know. Mate, I remember it was how- like it was yesterday because I remember everyone yeah, was wearing yeah. yellow. Have you ever seen, apart from you know, I know in England, obviously it's very, very you know patri- patriarchal, but 
in Australia, it's not like that. Like, I've been to NRL Grand Finals, I've been to everything, and I've never seen every single member of a sporting stadium wear yellow and be screaming just Australia, Aussies. Yeah, I think, I think it's the moment as well. In terms of a couple of weeks before, we had a lot of racial tension. There were riots. There were, there were you know, there were issues down in the... Um, in Cronulla. Uh, in the Cronulla area, Southern yeah. Shire, all that sort of stuff. So it, it was a moment that just kind of like defied all that. It, it brought everyone together and there were people from all different backgrounds and that's what football does. Football brings people together from every different ethnicity. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of that, know, Mark, you know, in 2010, the first game, I know that we got flogged, but you got to play against Germany. Like, yep. having a German background plus being an Aussie, how amazing was that to be standing there on a World Cup stage and pretty much representing both countries kind of thing? Yeah. Listen, I mean, I, I'm very proud of my German heritage. Um, but first and foremost, I'm Australian. And... <laughs> I was just, you know, I was so so proud to be there representing Australia, and 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 you know, the icing on the cake is yes to play against Germany, but it's also very daunting because you know how good a side they are. You know that they're one of the favourites to win the the World Cup. Yeah, and that's 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 in itself is is pretty amazing. As a kid growing up, I used to watch West Germany. Germany play at all all major tournaments all the time. My dad would get me up at all hours in the morning. He'd get up, and we'd watch them. So it, it was special. Um, but then you know once you're out there, you're you're there. But you, you want to win. I, I, I would have loved nothing more than to beat them. And you know we did it. We did it a couple of months, like six or seven months later, we played them in a friendly. But it was a friendly, and World Cups and friendlies are very very different. But at least I did experience beating Germany, even yeah. though it was only a friendly. Hundred percent. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Before I let you leave, get following Mark on Twitter, Instagram. It's a pretty easy one. It's at Schwarzer underscore Mark. Mark, thanks so much for sharing all the you know all the awesome stories from your career, man. And you know, thanks for getting us to that World Cup, mate, because you started a trend. <laughs> thanks, mate. All the very best. And that, guys, was Mark Swartzer. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with your family and friends. Let them know. Tag me on any posts on Twitter or Facebook. I'm at Talking with TK. Make sure you do get in touch in terms of guests that you want to see on the show in Season 4. that had an uh, incredible amount of support for Season 3, and yeah, a fair few people have flicked me who they want to see in Season 4. So simply either direct message me on the social medias or send me an email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Next week, we've got Robert Whitaker, the UFC champion. He's got a big fight coming up in about seven weeks' time against Stylebender, and also his high-performance coach, Fabricio Ite, will also be joining me for a pretty intriguing chat if you can please like i just mentioned share it with your family and friends continue to uh, put those reviews on either itunes or apple Podcasts or on the facebook page really really helps me and i really do appreciate everyone that's gone to the effort to do that all right i hope you enjoyed that episode and i'll see you next week for rob whittaker but until then stay safe i'm tristan cannell and this was talking with tk